0: Thank you for joining us here at Strange Pathways. I hope that you've had just an absolutely wonderful week. I'm having a wonderful day. I'm in a little bit of pain. I'm not going to lie. I record on Sundays. This Friday, though, uh, at my job. My job is kind of a little bit of this, a little bit of that. A little bit of this and a little bit of that. Some days I trade stocks. Some days I drive children. And some days I stack hay. Uh, For those that don't know, hay bales are not that light. Each hay bale is around 40 to 60 pounds. And uh, my boss, he has horses. It's getting close to winter here in Pennsylvania. So it was important to get some hay for them to eat throughout the winter. Um... So we loaded up 96 bales of hay. And then we drove a trailer with 96 bales of hay. And then 15 of them fell off the trailer and had to be thrown back on. And then they had to be lifted into the attic of a barn and placed and stacked. Hay is not gentle to human skin. I have... Tiny little scrapes and puncture marks all over my arms, my legs, and my muscles are just starting to recover. But, honest days work, honest days pay. I've got a job. I've got someone that loves me here at home. And I think I win because of that. You're driving in your car. July 1st, 2009, 10.30 at night, near Tonopah, Arizona. There have been a lot of UFO sightings, a lot of alien sightings. There are rumors of a deep underground military base nearby. One thing you know for certain, one thing that you know is true, is that you're very, very near the Palo Verde Nuclear Generating Station the largest nuclear power plant in the country. You look up. You see a very large triangle-shaped UFO. You're on this dirt road and there's this bright flashing light. You've heard rumors too. People that live in this area have been chased in their cars. They see these strange objects on a regular basis. Your girlfriend starts crying. Tells you to turn around. You get to within two or three hundred yards of the light. And you look up and it's triangular in shape. It has windows all around it. It is the size of three football fields. Three stories tall. And only thirty feet off the ground. You flash your high beams at it. And it flashes back in the same sequence of flashes. Your friend James... He gets out of the car and he walks closer. As you and your friends look, you can see these small, big-headed aliens staring out of the windows of the craft looking at you. And then, seven to nine-foot-tall aliens join them. Some of the windows you can see through. Some are dark. But then the dark windows clear up one by one. And you can see more and more Aliens looking out at you. Your friend James, he's taping the entire time. You're terrified. You're excited. You and your friends walk closer, but you have to stop because the heat coming from the craft is so intense. The craft hovers and then lands. A large panel at the bottom of the craft opens, and these two aliens proceed to walk out. You're terrified. You, you can't move. You can't talk. You're frozen in the spot. And You try to scream. You try to run. Nothing. You're paralyzed with fear. Two of your friends who stayed in the car are honking the horn, screaming for you to come back, but you can't move. The aliens walk up to within 20 feet of you. One of them is very thin, tall, eight or nine feet. The other is three or four feet tall. A calmness washes over you. The aliens begin to speak to you telepathically. They say they're here to help humanity, that that we would destroy our planet, and that a horrible event is coming soon. One of your friends asks if it's something like 9-11 and they said it was bigger and that it would come from the Middle East. You think to yourself, have I been in this situation before? And the tall alien hears your thoughts and repeats his name and says, yes, you had been visited before when you were six years old in Deming, New Mexico. He had been in the desert playing and they talked to him then, but you had blocked it out. And it all suddenly comes back. They want you to warn people about global warming and what was to come if they didn't start taking care of the planet. Visions of disaster enter your heads, showing you what's to come. The tall alien holds your hand. None of your friends are scared any longer. They tell you that they would see you again soon and beg you to warn people about saving our planet. James is still recording. The aliens return to the craft and in a blink of an eye, it's gone. Everyone feels weak, but everyone's able to make it back to the car. Those that were left in the car, they're not crying anymore. They just hug everyone. For a minute, the car doesn't start, and it just turns on by itself in a few seconds. As you drive away, three military helicopters appear, and they begin to shine their lights on you. Two military Hummers show up and chase you. You try to avoid the Hummers, but you're told over a speaker to pull over, or you will be shot. You pull over, and military surround the vehicle. Two men in black open the door and ask you and your friends to get out. One of the men in black looks familiar to you. You're questioned. Your friends are questioned. Your car is searched. You're asked what you've seen, how long you've been out there, and if you've had any contact with the aliens. One of the soldiers finds James' camera. The men in black review it, tell you and your friends that you're not to speak of any of this. You're taken away. You're questioned. Your friends separated from you. After questioning, they drop you off near Tonopah Joe's restaurant. You call your friends. That's where you're picked up. As amazing as the story is, this happened. This happened. The main witness sent his report in to phantomsandmonsters.com. Now, my first thought whenever I heard this the very first thing that enters my mind is that the men in black and the military are the bad guys. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking military, men in black, possibly in the pocket of big business, they don't want the world saved. They want things to go status quo because going green Costs money. Very few businessmen want to change the way they do business. They would rather things stay status quo. But Let's flip that. Let's say. Let's say that the bad guys are the aliens. That the military, the men in black, they don't want this message getting out there. Why is that? Why would, why would the aliens care if we have a pristine planet or not? The only reason I can think of, besides the lovey-dovey space brother reason... I wouldn't, if I was moving into a house, if I wanted to go and take a house away from somebody, I would want that house to be in the best possible condition before I move in. Why not try to convince the owners of the house to keep the house as nice as possible? Now, I'm not saying this is true, but maybe the reason why a lot of governments are so anti-green, why a lot of businesses are intent on doing practices that add to global climate change is because we're hoping to make this planet something that the aliens don't want. Maybe make it something that the aliens can't live on. I remember many, many years ago, listening to the Art Bell show, Coast to Coast AM. Art Bell was interviewing a man who said he was a time traveler. He went by the name Single Seven. And this time traveler said that he was coming back so that they could raise the temperature of the planet to make it inhospitable for this alien race the grays he called them the mim but the mim were just kind of a nickname for them because that was the first sound whenever they did first whenever the aliens did first contact mm-hmm, let's try that again when the aliens did first contact with this planet the first sound we heard over the over the radio was mim i find it i find it interesting I'm of two minds. I'm of two minds. I think what we are doing to the planet is horrible. I do believe climate change is real. I do believe that the human race is at a crossroads where it can go one way or the other. We can wipe ourselves off this planet or we can push forward into into a new era of technology and science. Electric cars are a thing now. 3D printing is a thing. Medical 3D printing is a thing now. So if you ever find yourself face-to-face with aliens and they're telling you to spread the message... That the world is in danger. Maybe something to ask them is. In danger for us, or endangered for you? Our next tale comes from the same corner of the internet, Lon Strickler's phantomsandmonsters.com. A pair of Virginia men sent an account to Lawnstrickler. Strickler. It had taken place several years ago. In their own words, the author says, My cousin and I were out drinking and riding around, him driving, in a county bordering ours. We weren't extremely familiar with the county, but had been through it several times and have family there. I was about 19, and my cousin PJ was about 20. Nothing was out of the ordinary about that night, as we liked to drink and ride around back roads. Out of nowhere, we had to relieve ourselves and ended up coming upon this old country store. Here in rural Virginia, in a lot of places, it's not unusual for a common country store to look super old. The store looked very old-fashioned, but was neat and tidied up. We decided to stop here to relieve ourselves around the side of the store building. It was around 9 p.m., around sunset, dusk. We noticed the store looked like it was being closed up for the night, but strange thing is there were a few people and a couple of kids there, but dressed differently. The adults were sitting on a little porch with a swing on it at the store. They looked like they were dressed from the 1920s, but we paid literally no mind to it. There were old-style gas pumps there, and the store had a screen door as the entrance. We came across this man out by the pumps, looked like he was in his late 20s, dressed nicely. He wore a top hat with dark parted hair underneath, dark red suspenders, dress shoes, and a dress shirt with a tie. He reminded me of someone from the Italian mob. He was around six foot, quiet, but very friendly, and a built dude. He was there to close up the store for the night and check things out before doing so. We had small talk, being drunk and friendly and he said he had plans of drinking once he was finished. We told him to join us and ride around some back roads and drink. He agreed, and we got in the car. He was drinking some sort of wine and and told us which roads he wanted us to take him riding on. We didn't know these roads whatsoever. We were just following his lead. We even sipped the wine with him, which I have never drank again to my knowledge by the distinct taste. We were all buzzed and talkative. The young man told us about how his family owned the store and he worked there as well. He said the store was passed down the generations of his family. This man was really cool but gentle in nature and spoke very highly of his family. About five or six hours of this past, we had a great time hanging out. He was grateful that we asked him to ride with us because he was hiding his drinking from his family. He didn't want them to worry about him and seemed like a proud Italian man. Very respectable guy. He said other things, and since we were drinking, we can't remember everything. How it usually is, nothing out of the ordinary. Yet it seemed like he was in a sort of a bad place in life and wanted better for himself and his family. After telling us that, his mood seemed to change, like he was starting to feel down. And he told us to take him back to the same store. But we took a totally different route, still following the directions that he gave us. We were planning on getting more gas at the store since we were almost on empty from cruising the back roads all night. Once we arrived at the store... He told us he was going to unlock the store so we could go inside. He exited the car and we heard the back door shut. Literally immediately after that, we looked around and the store was completely run down. Grass was growing way too tall around it. Windows were broken and it looked like it had been abandoned for a very long time. The man was nowhere in sight and the gas pumps were broken and rusted. A brown paper bag that we had seen the young man with was even still in the back seat. We both freaked the heck out and had no idea what had happened or how we were going to make it home. It was around 3 or 4 a.m. and we didn't know what to do or think. Everything about the situation seemed so normal until this point. We didn't know where we were because we were just riding around random roads, but decided to find a gas station nearby. We did, and to this day, crap freaks me out. I told my mom about it, and she said she thinks she knows what store I'm talking about. And it had been closed since the 70s. My cousin freaked out about it so badly for so long that he was almost committed by his family. He couldn't sleep, eat, or function at all. And I'm still freaked out about it. I just have no explanation to it. This gentleman's fiance interrogated him about this she kept asking him what the roads were like what exactly the man looked like what he wore and she ends up pulling up photos that she googles on her laptop of top hat and suspender fashion decade and that leads her to searches like 1920s country store 1920 roads she comes across this photo of an old country store and asked him if this is what it looked like on the inside. He was shocked. As soon as he saw the photo, he sees the man standing in it. He gets chills all over his body, and he goes, that's the guy. I'm sure of it. The young man in the photo perfectly fits the story that he's been telling for years. It turns out that this is a fruit packing company in California. The, the, the store's website says that the business has been family owned, passed down the generations, just like her fiance said, the young man had said the dates on the websites about us section even matches up. The man's name was Alex Lombardo. If you're so inclined, head on over to the Strange Pathways Facebook page. We're going to have that photo right there. We'll even have a link to the website the fiance was talking about, Primavera Marketing. It's, it's a very odd to see this photo. It makes one want to be able to go back and ask Alex about that night? Would he remember? Would it have been part of a parallel universe? Maybe it happened to these gentlemen, but not to the Alex in our universe. And some other universe And Alex is talking about the night he went riding with two guys and they just up and vanished on him. It's absolutely astounding to think. Maybe time... Maybe space isn't as solid as we'd like it to be. Let me ask you this. Do you think Jonah was really swallowed by a whale? Now we know that the whale, even though it's the largest animal that has ever lived, its throat is very, very small except for the sperm whales. Sperm whales have been known to vomit up chunks of cuttlefish six feet long by four feet wide. And on one occasion, an 18-foot shark skeleton was found in the stomach of one. Let's go back to February of 1891. What you're about to hear is a verbatim translation of the report of the French scientist Monsieur de Paville in the Journal des Bats in 1914. In February 1891, the whaling ship Star of the East was in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands when the lookout sighted a large sperm whale three miles away. Two boats were launched, and in a short time, one of the harpooners was enabled to spear the whale. The second boat attacked the whale, but was upset by a lash of its tail, and the men were thrown into the sea. One man being drowned, and another, James Bartley, having disappeared, could not be found. The whale was killed in a few hours, its great body lying on the ship's side while the crew busied itself with axes and spades, removing the blubber. They worked all day and part of the night. The next morning, they attached some of the tackle to the stomach of the whale and hoisted it on the deck. Suddenly, the sailors were startled by something in it, which gave spasmodic signs of life. Inside was found the missing sailor, doubled up and unconscious. He was placed on the deck and treated to a bath of seawater, which soon revived him, but his his mind was not clear and he was placed in the captain's quarters, where he remained for two weeks a raving lunatic. He was kindly and carefully treated by the captain and the ship's officers, and gradually regained possession of his senses. At the end of the third week, he's entirely recovered from the shock, and resumes his duties. During the sojourn in the whale's stomach, Bartley's skin, where it was exposed to the action of gastric juices, underwent a striking change his face neck and hands were bleached to a deadly whiteness taking on the appearance of parchment bartley remembered the lash of the whale's tail and quote, then there was encompassed by great darkness and he felt that he was slipping along a smooth passage that seemed to move and carry him forward his hands came into contact with a yielding slimy substance which seemed to shrink from his touch He could easily breathe, but the heat was terrible. It seemed to open the pores of his skin and draw out his vitality. The next he remembered, he was in the captain's cabin. While he recovered fully from his mental depression, his skin retained its ghastly pallor to the end and never recovered its natural appearance. Thank you for joining us again this week on Strange Pathways. Please head on over to the Facebook page. Check out some of the photos we have pertaining to the tales that you've heard today. While you're over there, go ahead. Share with a couple of friends. Let them know how very, very cool, very, very nice this show is. Hopefully, I hope you do feel that way. I feel that way about this show. Love doing this every Sunday. While you're at it, head on over to the YouTube page Click like, hit subscribe, ring that little bell. It does something. I'm not sure what. Leave a comment. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can do so at strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. Have a wonderful week. Take care of yourselves and each other.